Oh, what is up? Welcome to Bring in the Backups. I'm your host, Eric Helwig. On the show today, I'm interviewing comedian Sandy Danto. His album, Daddy Boy, is available on Spotify right now. That's at Sandy Danto on Instagram and Twitter. Check out that album. We're going to be previewing it on the show as well. Also, Liz Galalis, my wife, stops by. You can follow her at Liz Galalis, G-A-L-A-L-I-S. Why did I say that like I couldn't spell my wife's name? That was humiliating. G-A-L-A-L-I-S. Follow her on Instagram and Twitter as well. She's got some great content. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody that got us over 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts in less than five months, guys. That is awesome. We really do appreciate it. When we get to 200 reviews, we're 98 away, but when we get to 200 reviews, Tom Brady ran a 5.28 at the Combine, the NFL Combine. That was his 40-yard dash. I'm going to beat it. I'm going to put it on YouTube. I'm going to kick Tom Brady's ass 40-yard dash style. If you want to see that, go on Apple Podcast, write a five-star review. Please feel free to insult me in the reviews as well. That always makes me laugh a lot. I don't... I don't take myself too seriously, all right? Great. And then on the show as well, uh, (laughs) because I keep the music running on here, if I fuck up the intro, I don't get to edit it. So you're getting one take here, okay? This is raw, uncut. Eric Kramer is our quarterback we talk about. Uh, Detroit Lions, Chicago Bears won a playoff game. The last playoff game we've seen in Detroit. We've seen uh, them win was in 1991. And then we talk about a bunch of other depressing shit that happened in his life that I didn't realize until after I'd started the podcast. So whoops. Yeah, Eric Kramer was a mistake, but that's who we're going to talk about. Detroit, this is your podcast. We're sticking up for you guys on here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking time to stay with us on the pod. We got Liz and Sandy coming up. Some solid Lions talk. Enjoy the show, everybody. This is Bringing the Backups with Eric Helwig. Yeah! Hell yeah! We're back, baby. Podcast recording time. It is a it is a nice early 1.30 in the morning. I'm recording a podcast for you guys. How do you like that, huh? Morning podcast. Early morning, man. I've had a, I guess I had an all right two weeks since the last time we spoke. I think it's going okay. As you guys know, I've uh, been dealing with some celiac issues, celiac up in the house. Been trying to remove gluten from my life. I had to, uh, had to, I had to have an appointment with the nutritionist about a week ago. They had a diagram where they're like, this is how much gluten your body can accept. And it's, it's a piece of toast. And then below the toast, they have a crumb. And then an arrow pointing to the crumb. And they circle the crumb. And they're like, anything more than this? It's like, why do that? I get they're trying to make the point. But it's like, could you make this sadder for me? And then it gets to the point where they're like, you got to get separate toasters if your wife wants to have toast. Separate toasters. Because I got like gluten-free bread. Which I don't mind that much, but it's like, oh god, guys! I, 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 it took me five seconds to get into the gluten complaining, but 
My God, this disease sucks. It sucks. I got to figure out new restaurants to go to. I got to eat salads for the rest of my life. I mean, if there's ever going to be a a reason for you guys to uh, support this podcast when it uh, comes available with merch stores and Patreon, it's going to be to make my life less sad. That's basically, you should feel bad for me. That's the most reasonable thing to do. I just heard the door slam, which is mean I'm too too loud for my wife. One of those early one thirty a.m. I tell you what, we got to get a bigger place. That's that's the that's the issue here. Is we're like, it's not as bad as when we lived in New York. The worst thing was having fights in New York when you're living in those tiny apartments. Because I mean, we had a roommate, so it's like if we we're fighting in the room and you're like, yeah, 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 you, well, fuck you, and then you turn to go in the living room and somebody's watching TV, you just have to like close your bedroom door and turn back around. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. And at least in L.A., I feel like there's space. Our, our place here is bigger than what we had in New York, but we got to get it to, uh, you know, I think we just need more space. We need, like, an office. We can throw up some soundproof foam, you know, keep the keep the voice locked in. I think that'd be nice. I think that's what the goal is. Those are my celiac updates for you guys. It's, it's, I, I got to stop with this. Like, do you? What, why do I need to add to your struggles in life? I don't know. It's because it's my fucking podcast. You don't have to listen, everyone. I mean, here's the other thing. It's like I, when I listen to podcasts, I'm like when I get annoyed with people when they start being like, you know, too complainy or I've just listened to them too much. Their voice starts to grate on me. Maybe they start like saying stuff I don't agree with politically. I'm like yelling back at the podcast. It's like I always get frustrated because like, it always feels like they want to have a conversation, but you can't. It's just them talking and usually recorded a week before. Unless I like start doing a radio show where people can call in, hey, you got Eric in the morning. Someone calls in, it's just them jerking off on the other end. Like, like that's got to be, if I want to get past the feeling of like, I want you guys to carry some of the responsibility of the conversation. That's what's nice about radio is you really, they don't talk that much if they have call-ins. Whoever their listeners are, they bear some of the responsibility in keeping the show going. You guys, you guys don't have to do shit to listen to a podcast. You just put it on, you know, you go back to cooking dinner or, you know, whatever you're doing, you're not going to work. Unless you live in the middle of the country, in which case you're probably back to normal. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this COVID shit. I know that L.A. was like, well, now we can eat outside again, but you can't have the TVs on. You can't have the TV on? Ugh. This city sucks. Why can't you have the Because they're like, they don't want people hanging out for sporting events. That's what it is. But it's like, can't you just... Can't you just say, don't do it? You, you got to make a rule. People just hand over their freedoms. Oh, God, I'll start playing the Star Spangled Banner behind me while I complain about COVID restrictions. You got to just say, look, don't be an asshole and hang out for three hours and start high-fiving people because the Chiefs throw a touchdown. You know, like, stay at your table. Like, why can't you just say that? Please stay at your table. Hook up your waiter. Don't get too drunk. Don't turn on your TV. What are we, six? Ugh. 
just sucks, man. I don't know. I guess I don't know. It, uh, bleh, bleh, bleh. Who gives a fuck what I think? So yeah, L.A. I guess is like <laughs> just sending those mixed signals. That's how they roll. And the other big news is the GameStop stuff. I'm sure you guys have been waiting for me to weigh in. Man, I cannot be more into what's happening with GameStop. I mean, it, it took me like three days to understand what the fuck was happening with the stock market. But once I got it, I was like, this is amazing. How amazing. I had a buddy who was like, oh, these guys are going to lose their money. It's like, dude, the, the point is not to make money. It's it's like the point is to make the point. It's a protest. But it's the best protest because it's literally doing exactly what these banker fucks have been doing for decades. And it's just mushing it right in their face. These bankers are getting butt fucked in front of all of us. And it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I love it. Keep it up. You better believe I bought some fucking game stock. <laughs> I did. I did, man. I bought it. Hold the line, everybody. Hold the line. And I'm telling what you're also seeing. <laughs> Anybody who's a corporate hack is like, well, you know, I'm, uh, it's always nice to see the little guy run, but, you know, I'm just worried that they're going to lose their money. Shut the fuck up. Dude, the people know exactly what risk they're taking. They want to mush it in bankers' faces. All right, that's what this is. You're showing your true colors, all right? That's right? I'll leave it there. Love the GameStop stuff, man. It's been sweet. I got to get to the first pre-planned bit. I got a, I got a couple pre-planned bits for today. This first one's great. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't build it up too much. This first one sucks. Nah, that's an overcorrection. This pre-planned bit is what it is, and if you enjoy it, great. And if you don't, I, again, I don't really care that much, so here it is. Welcome back to another edition of On This Day in Backup History. Today we travel to New England, not to burn witches at the stake, but for a backup quarterback. Steve Grogan, a Mexican food enthusiast, ate an entire plate of tamales at hey, the wedding. I need you to take out the trash. Um, what are you doing? I'm recording on this day in backup history. My book club is coming over in like five minutes, and I need you to take out the trash like you said you would. I have to record on this day. You can and do that later. Just take out the trash. I, I can't. They only give me one take. We record it live, and then that's it. This will all be on the final version of On This Day in Backup History. Oh my god, fine, I'll do it. No, then I'll never hear the end of it, alright? I have like five seconds till the fucking music stops. Just let me finish. Let me finish this one shot to record On This Day in Backup History. Oh, fine. Steve Grogan shit his pants against the Browns. And it was hard to tell because they're the Browns. Who do you record these for? This is my fucking job, lady! I'm your wife. You cut me a break! Don't call me lady. (sighs) This is my work. Yeah, tapping into those rage issues, everybody. 
my uh, my interview for the week, who you're gonna we're gonna get to in uh, you know twenty to thirty, is a very funny comedian, Sandy Danto. We talk about our rage issues, which is fun, always fun. Tap it into the rage. You got to here's the thing: you got to express the rage so it doesn't eat you inside. Okay, that's the thing. You got to let it out, a little like a little teapot. I'm a little teapot. That's what you. That's what you got to do. You hold it in. You end up murdering somebody later. You end up. Uh, Who's the guy that wants to uh, eat people's hearts when they uh, when he's banging them? I can't I can't remember the name. He's got like a goofy name. Why is it okay to like judge what somebody does sexually in the bedroom? As a guy that's into kinky stuff myself, I'm like, what what is wrong with people? You can do whatever you want as long as you're not actually eating somebody's heart, right? What's the suspicion level of podcast listeners that I eat people's hearts right now? I mean, whatever it is, it's. Uh, it's it's ticking up. It's it's the possibility that I can only achieve orgasm pretending to eat people's hearts is higher than it was 20 seconds ago in everybody's mind. That's what's happening. I don't care. I don't care if that's what you think about me. Go for it. What do, who who cares? What, what, why is it, why are we such a country of of busybodies? Don't you guys remember mind your own beeswax? Ugh, the celebrity worship in this in this nation of ours is sickening. Who cares what celebrities think? They're just like idiots. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know why we care. I don't know why we need heroes anymore. Hasn't this year shown us that nobody's a hero, with the exception of uh, redditors with a little bit of Wall Street knowledge. <laughs> Oh, it's so awesome. It makes me happy. I think I, I think to it many times a day over the last week or so. I love it. I love it. Here's the thing, like I don't want us to have to behead a banker. This is the ne- this is the this is the better option. Is put a couple of these hedge fund bros out of business. They're bros. It's bros that do this. And look, I speak from experience. Okay, I'm not gonna go into the timeshare thing again, but I used to do I used to sell an invisible product, so, you know, justice is being served up. I like it. Hot and fresh. All right, let's get to uh, our quarterback. How about our quarterback, Eric Kramer? Now, I picked him because Sandy Danto, our uh, our interview, is from Detroit. And I was like, well, who's the last quarterback that won a playoff game for Detroit? I know they've only won one playoff game in 63 years. Uh, that That streak... That does not get enough play as far as, you know, like the Chicago Cubs haven't won a World Series since Taft shat in a bathtub or whatever. But the Lions are right up there. I mean, that's unbelievable. So it was 91 was was the year. Their backup quarterback, Eric Kramer, backing up Rodney Pete and Andre Ware gets it done in 91. Wins them a playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys, baby. Eric Kramer. Making it happen. Let's look at this guy, huh? He's from Encino, California, where we might move soon. Got to go to the Valley. That's where we can afford a new place. But what are we going to do? So Encino, looks like I might be moving to this guy's hometown soon. Where did he go to? Let's see. He played at uh, Los Angeles Pierce College. Then he goes to North Carolina State. Wolfpack, baby. Did not get drafted. 
practice squad with the Saints in 87, Atlanta Falcons in 87 for a little bit. Then Calgary Stampeders. Love it. Who doesn't love somebody with a quick trip to the CFL, man? We've got a couple guys on the program that have done that, huh? Cleo Lemon. Uh, that's probably it. I don't remember uh, who else we've had on the show. But, yeah, Calgary Stampeders for three years. Looks like he did all right. Yeah, he did okay in the in the CFL. But then, here it is. Detroit Lions, 91-92-93. Gets them their only playoff win. Now, look, as an Eagles fan who's got one Super Bowl under my fan belt with a backup quarterback doing it, I got to love me a backup quarterback winning a playoff game, getting a team into a championship. The roar is back. It was for like a half a season, and the Lions went back to being terrible for three decades. But look at this. Kramer's nickname in Detroit was Brass, a media-friendly redaction of Brass Balls. (laughs) I think I mentioned it on the podcast, but the fact that they called uh, Foles Big Dick Nick, and then during the Super Bowl, Al Michaels goes, uh, you know, they call him Big Game Nick. It's like, fuck you, Al. Just either say the real name or don't bring it up. It'd be funny if he did say the real name. So, yeah, they call him Brass Balls. They have to call him Cosmo Kramer because, you know, Kramer, Seinfeld was on. So, Cosmo Kramer, kind of a lame nickname. Feels a little on the nose. 91, yet 38-6, to a drubbing of the Dallas Cowboys. And those were the, that was the Cowboys, you know, they had their big three. That was early in their run. Like, they hadn't established themselves yet as the, Whatever they were going to be, but I mean, come on. Aikman, Irvin, Smith, suck it. Eric Kramer was better. He was better that day. Hangs out with Detroit for two more seasons after that. <coughs> I don't really know why he leaves, other than like, I know he was like competing with Rodney Pete. And I know that because when I YouTubed Eric Kramer videos, I saw a video of Holly Robinson Pete, the more famous of the Pete's. Um, talking with Eric Kramer's ex-wife about uh, him committing, <laughs> having an attempted suicide uh, in 2015. Eric Kramer's post-career gets very dark, and we will get into it, but we'll 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 uh, we'll dip a toe in. All right, we'll do a pre-planned bit and come back because uh, again, much like with the Charlie Batch episode, where I did not realize his sister was murdered. I had no idea that Eric Kramer has. One of the most depressing post NFL careers I've ever seen. So we will, we will touch on it. Yeah, it goes to the Bears in '94, and he ends up like starting a bunch of games in '95 and '97, but then backing up in '96, '98, or was '94, '96. Plays in '95, '90. Who cares? Uh, and then he goes to, he's with the Bears till '98. And then he goes to the Chargers in 99, plays like four games, starts four games. Look, his his career numbers are not that bad. As a starter, he's 31 and 36. Huh, where, where did his rating end up at for the career? 70, 76.6. All right, so he's right there average. But that you look at him in the 93 season, for Detroit, he was 95.1. I don't know why Detroit didn't keep Eric Kramer. Is there like a reason that that happened? I mean, the dude won a playoff game. I know he lost another playoff game in 93, but like 
I mean, come on. There's no way. I mean, I know they drafted Andre Ware thinking he was going to be the guy. He wasn't. But that seems like a mistake. I don't know. Eric Kramer played all right. Let's look at his touchdowns here. What, what, what do we got? Touchdowns. 92 touchdowns. 79 interceptions. More touchdowns than interceptions. That's not too bad. Not too shabby. Completion percentage, 57.3. Okay, that, that sucks. But okay, so like a better than average backup. That's what we're going to go with with Kramer here. Yeah, I, I, I like him. I like this guy. All right, the, the, we're going to get into his post-playing career. It's a, it's a fucking, it's a, it's a bummer. But before we do, you guys know what's next. Bring in the Backups presents Letters Home from the Bench. September 29th, 1999. Stony Case writes, Dearest Anagret, citing a local poet, Hark the raven nevermore. The blackbirds of Baltimore no longer feel necessity for my service and have relegated me to third string. Months earlier, team leaders spun yarn of a battle between myself, Tony Banks, and Scott Mitchell. Their deceit always sounded a dubious refrain. Whoever rises to the top shall prevail. But as the designation Stony Case suggests, I have sunk to the bottom. How far does the bottom reach? I must go now. I'm duty-bound by an early-season wager to yield Tony Banks a hot stone massage. The name Stony Case will be the death of me. With eyes towards our future, I send my love. Stony. Stony Case. Dumb name. I forgot to mention Liz Galalis. In the uh, in the opening bit, that was Liz Galalis. You can follow her Instagram, Twitter at Liz Galalis. If if you haven't followed her yet, I don't know why. She's hilarious. She's my wife, and she shows up on the show every two weeks because she's been trapped with me for a year in our home. So follow my wife on social media now. <laughs> and then uh, Sandy Danto too. Uh, our comic coming up. Uh, he's at just at. Sandy Danto, S-A-N-D-Y, last name Danto, D-A-N-T-O on both Instagram and Twitter. Very funny. We're also going to be playing a clip from his album, uh, Daddy Boy, which is hilarious. You can find it on Spotify or on his website, sandydanto.com. We will get to it, but like I said, we're still 15 minutes out. Yeah, I plan it that well. I know the exact amount of time till we get there, too. Nice. I love having comics come on my show. It's so cool to have a platform to tell people about funny people making great content, especially like as the world ends. You know, like that's what the, that's what you want. You want to build a ship and then have people come on it. That's the fun part. So yeah, I'm stoked about that, and it's it's a fun conversation too. So definitely hang out for it. Let's get back to uh, Eric Kramer trying to kill himself. So. After retiring from the NFL, Kramer goes into sports broadcasting. He's an analyst for the Lions and the Bears, which makes sense. Those are the teams that he spent the most time with. He appears on an episode of Married with Children hmm, with Al Bundy. 
I watched a little bit of that show. I like Christina Applegate. That was I was at that age where it was like I watched the show if I had a crush on the girl in it. What do we get next? Yeah, so then it gets sad. October 30th, da, 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 looks like his son overdoses from heroin and some people go to jail for it. Yikes. I really got to research the quarterbacks before I pick them for the episode because I don't want to roast this man. I don't want to. Once I, once I start doing the show, I can't change the quarterback. I feel like a phony then. Like I'm committed. I'm in. Believe it. So it gets worse. So son dies. Then he tries to kill himself in 2015. And then his ex-wife is like, my husband's great, but he had brain injuries from the NFL. This show is always walking that line. I just need, I need to get like a, like a clip of Will Smith doing the tell the truth. Like that's what I need. Like to just play that every five seconds. Yes, the league is evil. Yes, the concussions are real. Yes, pay college athletes. Like, you just have to, like, just say that every time. Yes, I'm for all the things that liberal people want to happen with sports. Because I like sports and I don't want to feel guilty. But there's just there's just too many guys. I mean, the backups are messed up. They're not even playing that much. So it's like, what happens to the offensive linemen smashing their heads in? Yeah, this is so he he had it bad, and then uh, then his wife Courtney Baird. I'm saying her name because it's on the Wikipedia page. Co- says that Kramer is beating her, so it's domestic violence charges against Kramer in 2018. Then two years later, L.A. County drops the charges against Kramer and then arrests the woman. And charges her with 12 felonies, including elder abuse, identity theft, and forgery. I'm not fucking around. Per legal documents attained by TMZ Sports, Kramer said he suffered a traumatic brain injury after attempting suicide that left him uh, with a lack of mental capacity to legally consent to marriage. They get their marriage annulled. This woman stole 50000 from him before they were married. Gets the marriage nullified in 2019. Oh, my God. And then she's like, she's just like, she found a guy with a dead kid and CTE who tried to kill himself and tried to steal all of his money. And then she accused him of domestic abuse. Oh, my God. Fucking monster. Ugh. Courtney Baird. Unbelievable. Hopefully she's still in prison. She should be. Christ. Look, I'm all for the Me Too movement, all right? But this is why we can't say believe everybody, all right? You got to take it seriously when someone has a allegation. Oh, this it's this is it's his whole Wikipedia page is this woman stealing his identity. Why did I pick him for the quarter? God damn it. This is this is on me, guys. This episode really is on me. Like it's way more depressing than it needs to be. Let, let's get to the. <laughs> Sorry, look, Eric Kramer. Thanks for the postseason win. I, I I did watch a couple interviews with him, and like you know he he doesn't look too messed up. He looks like he's fully recovered from his uh, gunshot wound to the head. Yeah, this one was a mistake. This is the worst one so far. This is the one. If I was gonna ever just scrap a. Uh, 
scrap one of the podcasts and just put the interview up, this would be the one. But I'm not going to do it, all right? They, they, they can't all be diamonds, all right? Sometimes there's going to be a little nugget of shit in the rubble. That's what you're getting today. All right, that's all we need out of Eric Kramer, all right? Best wishes. God be with you or Allah or Satan. I don't care. Whoever you believe in. Nothing. Remember that South Park episode? Oh, my science. One of my favorite episodes of South Park. Yeah, this guy's had it rough. Hopefully he's coming out of it. huh? He's doing a lot of like, uh, what do you call? Like, uh, you know, like mental health. Uh, why am I still talking about it? Move on. He's alive. He's doing better. Done. The Lions. Are my Detroit fans still with me? <laughs> if you are, man, I, I love... I feel like the Lions have, they hired the best dude. I saw that Dan Campbell guy, like, yelling at the press conference. He's like, here's what I know. Here's what I know. We're going to bite off a kneecap. Here's what I know. We're going to fight Detroit. Kneecap, fight. Here's what I know. It was amazing. And it was fun to watch, like, this is what it always is, man, with these fucking nerds that cover football, that have never played football. I include myself. Look, I'm not, I don't cover football. I've never played. Really. So, like, I know enough from my rage and other sports I've played that, like, in the moment when you're trying to rile up players, you say crazy stuff in a locker room. Like, that's that's a football coach. And, look, the Eagles just hired, like, some, like, dweeby-looking dude. I'm, I'm sure he can motivate players, too. But, like, at the press conference, he's like, we're going to be smart. We're going to be a smart, smart team and... How about this guy? How about the the Lions guy is threatening to eat the other team? I mean, can we can all coaches be like that, please? More of that. Entertainment. Give me like a tight end that just got out of the league 2 years ago. That still like looks like he wants to strap it on and go fucking go play in the fourth quarter. I love it, man. At every uh, to me I'm like I don't know why every head coach in the NFL isn't a former player five years out of the league who's yelling at his introductory press conference. Why not always that? Like, who's the guy from the Rams? He's like a little dude. They hired him when he was 26 years old. He's like the towel boy that's been like writing plays on the whiteboard while the team <laughs> goes out there and play like gladiators. I don't know, man. I love what Dan Campbell was doing. And I was not one of those people that was like, Oh, the, his his de- lack of decorum is so fucking get over yourself. These idiot media guys, and all they want to do is rile people up. Just have a take. Here's my take. Hot take. Let me just say the opposite of the dude sitting across from me at the table so that we can talk about it for 15 minutes. What Dan Campbell did was amazing. It was amazing. I'll tell you why. You know, this year, like, I was having fun, especially in the playoffs, rooting for the Browns. Nice to see the Bills coming up. I think the Lions, man, you got Dan Campbell. I like that coaching staff. I think Jared Goff is not that bad. You get a ton of draft picks getting rid of Stafford. And as an Eagles fan, you hired Deuce Staley as your running back coordinator. All right, now, like, ever since Barry Sanders retired in Detroit, your running back has basically been like me. You've been going to like open mics to find your starting running backs for the last 15 years. Deuce Staley is going to get a thousand yard rusher in Detroit, man. That's what he does. 
This dude was undervalued in Philly. He had him as the running backs coach for like eight different coaches. He's been there for a decade and hasn't gotten a promotion. Thank God he left, man. And I I hate that he left because I love Deuce Staley. He's one of my favorite players as a kid. But now he's in Detroit. I love that staff that they built there, man. That's going to be, they're going to be a team to watch. I'm into it. All right. Got through the suicide stuff. Let's get to our third and final pre-planned bit. If you want something done right, you need to do it yourself. Unless it's telling your audience how to support your podcast, because that shit gets old real quick. I think you should outsource it. And that's what I've done. Welcome to My Friends and Family Plug My Show. These are real people with real reasons why you should support me. I hope you listen. I hope you hear. And I do hope you support. I'm Eric's brother. I personally don't enjoy his podcast very much. I played collegiate soccer and really enjoy MMA. While I like football, who cares about backup quarterbacks before I was alive? Hey, Eric, pick a smaller niche, dickhead. Eric's website is erichelwig.com. Please go there to subscribe to his podcast. Follow him on YouTube, sign up for his newsletter, and much more. Again, the website is erichelwig.com. Have you guys heard of Joe Rogan? He's my favorite podcast. Joe Rogan, the shining light at the top of the hill. Thank you to my brother for helping us out with uh, my friends and family. Appreciate that. Super Bowl. People listening to this, it's going to be the week of the Super Bowl, or maybe the week after. I do these every two weeks, so some people are going to be getting to this late, and we will already know who won. Here's the thing. When you go to that Super Bowl, the most important thing is don't go to a party. Not just because there's coronavirus. That, I mean, that, that'd be like a good reason to not go. And luckily, don't worry. LA's on top of it. They don't let you <laughs> watch TV if you go to a bar. Watch it in your house where there's not a bunch of people around who don't like football. Oh, my God. Is there anything more aggravating than going to a Super Bowl party and having people like next to you or behind you complaining about football? While you're watching the Super Bowl, it's just, it's just it's got to stop. Super Bowl parties, they just don't invite people unless they don't like football. Unless they do like football, it'd be like if I went to a play, like on Broadway, and I sat down in the seat, and then the show starts, and I just start shitting on their costumes and how much I hate theater. Well, then why am I there? <laughs> Leave the party if you don't like what we're doing. If there's one positive from coronavirus, you know, it's that everybody has to watch the Super Bowl by themselves. All right, I think that's good. I think the people who like football will watch. The people who don't like football can, you know, enjoy another season of uh, Umbrella Academy. I don't know. Whatever you're watching, just don't ruin it for everybody else. And but and we got another great Super Bowl. I mean, dude. I mean, what do you want? You got Mahomes, and you got Brady. I, I'd be cool seeing either one win. You know, I feel like rooting for Tom Brady's like it's just like watching Darth Vader, like at the end of Rogue One. Just I mean, this dude cannot be stopped. He just can't be stopped. What was I listening to? Who are the um, oh the guys on FS One? 
Oh, my God. What's the name of the show? Speak for Yourself. That's who it is. It's Marcellus Wiley and uh, Manuel Acho. I love that show. That's like the sports show I go to. Yeah, and they were talking about uh, whether or not it's going to be like if Brady beats Mahomes, Mahomes can never catch Brady. Like if Brady just retires afterwards. And I was like, yeah, that that that's kind of like the way to go. Like would Brady try to do like Elway and win like two and then retire? But TB12, just he, he wants to make money on that. And the whole selling point of that is like I kept playing. So like I don't think he's going to retire – just because he wins a Super Bowl or two. I think he's going to play until his arm falls off. So we'll see. I don't think he'll be happy just beating Mahomes twice in the playoffs, you know, once in the Super Bowl and then, well, I guess it was two years ago when they beat him in the championship game. I think I think Brady's going to keep going. Like, he'll think he's better than Mahomes when he's 47. So, yeah, I'm. I'm I think the Chiefs will win, but... Mahomes is just uh, he's so he he's so good. It's like it's like you're watching like the natural versus the the sociopath. Tom Brady's a sociopath. Do you watch that thing where he he like uh he's got the seven quarterbacks that got drafted in front of him and he's like he like has their names all memorized and he's like driven by it and it's like I know athletes have to like stay motivated but he still gets like teary talking about not getting drafted until this seventh round. This dude's won, been to 10 Super Bowls, and he's still, I don't know what I'm saying. Like, it's coming from somebody who goes to therapy, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I got in a fight with somebody. And your therapist is like, hmm, it's because you had an issue with your father when you were six. I'm like, yep, that's why. So I guess what I guess what I'm saying is things motivate you years later. Okay, I'll lay off Tom Brady. Use the draft as your motivation. Use it, Tom. Whatever you need to keep going. All right, guys, it's that time. Before I do, I want to let everybody know uh, Sandy Danto has a comedy album out. He put it out in 2020, recorded it at the Punchline in San Francisco, Legendary Club. Sandy's an amazing comic, and you don't have to take my word for it. I've got a bit queued up right here from his album. Take a listen to it. We'll come back, and then we'll head right into the uh, the interview with Sandy. When you're a comic, you got to do side hustles. Here is the... <laughs> Lineage of side hustles that I have had as a comic. Sold weed. Directed gay porn. Took care of children. And if you think that's just a joke, you're sorely mistaken. My friend owns a porn company. One day he was like, we just started a gay porn network. And we need directors. And I was like, cool, I love musical theater. Let's do this. He's like, no, it's not Little Shop of Homos. It's not West Side Glory Hole. That's not what you're going to be doing. Let me just tell you guys something. No straight guy directs gay porn unless their back is up against the wall. Which is where you want it to be if you're a straight guy directing gay porn. I am really just trying to get on TV. That's all I'm trying to do in my life. And I pitched a show, a game show, based on my experience. It's called Did I Say It In My Car or While Directing Gay Porn? You guys play along with me. What just squirted on me? 
car, it's from the windshield wiper fluid. You got it, man. You nailed it. Why is this guy riding my ass? Gay porn. God damn it, this cocksucker pulled out right in front of me. Both. If I had done it for any longer, probably all of them both. To follow Sandy on social media, Instagram and Twitter, it's at Sandy Danto. We're going to hop into the interview with him right now. Enjoy. The first, the first election I remember being around for was probably when Clinton beat the first Bush. And I cried because my father was very conservative. I don't know why I'm saying was, is. He's, he's with us. Uh, good, good. Yeah. And, th- and like, I even have a photo. I think we must have gone to like a rally. There's like, a, I have a signed picture of him from when I was a kid that was up in my room. And I remember just being like heart. I was just so heartbroken that George Bush lost. And that I couldn't have. Yeah, I, I don't know how old I was. I was probably like five. But it felt uh, crushing. That's and now, so now I look back on it, I'm just, I just, why was I, why would, as a parent, I'm like, I would never let my kid get that wrapped up. Yeah. First of all, I've never understood the rally. Pep rallies in high school, sure, you're trying to get <laughs> kids excited about the big game. But I've never understood how a candidate's rally, it's all people who are already going to vote for that guy. Yes. Or girl. So what, like, I don't get how it gets you more support. If anything, and I'm undecided and there's more traffic and all that, I'm like, fuck this candidate. I don't like, he's making my life inconvenient already. I'm voting for whoever isn't making me 10 minutes late. I think so many things that politicians do to think that like, they're like, this is just the thing we do to win. It, I don't, I think it's all like, any benefit it has is outweighed by uh, unintended consequence they don't think of. Like I don't, I don't think rallies are that important now. I don't think TV ad, they show like TV ads annoy people that are going to vote for you more. Like when people like bombard you with that stuff, I, I really, I, I don't think they should have polls anymore. Like the, the polls idea- make no sense. Yeah. The TV ads make no sense. But above and beyond all that, getting stuff in the mail. Why are we doing this? You, you, I'm, you're just giving me a task to have to go put this in the recycling. Yeah, I think the only way to be elected now is to go on Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro's podcast. I think that's pretty the only, much. That's like the only, or this podcast. Like, I think, or this like, one. Yes, this is the one that all the candidates are jockeying for, and I'm lucky enough to be here. Yeah, on on Brad Stoll's recommendation. Great. Great guy, great funny sketch comic and, and stand-up comic, and I appreciate the endorsement. See, comics endorsing other comics means a lot for our careers. Sure. And I think that's something that we, you know, stole from politicians, but, you know, the the political the system is, is broke. All systems are broken. 
the, this isn't a political podcast. I don't know how we got off on politics <laughs> when this is about backup quarterbacks, but I'm all for it. I've got yeah. a lot to say about both. Yeah, everything's done online, whether it be politics. The only thing that isn't done online, comedy online, politics online. Being a backup quarterback is online because most of the time you just sit there. Yeah, it's either uh, it's it's all or nothing with the backups. It's I it, the the connection of politics is it's like being vice president. It's like a ceremonial position until all of a sudden you're like yes. someone takes a convertible ride in Dallas and now you're the guy. <laughs> but like, <laughs> wouldn't think a be. JFK assassination reference would be relevant in 2021, <laughs> but I genuinely laughed at that we don't we actually don't have to talk we can talk about whatever you want i don't there's no nobody gives a shit but uh the quarterback that i picked for your episode Mm -hmm. uh, i never researched the quarterbacks i'm like oh you told me you were from detroit i was like i'd had a thought about the lions just hired a new head coach who's hilarious i was like i should do like a detroit one because i haven't had a detroit guy yet hell yeah So so i just looked up who's the quarterback that won detroit's last playoff game and it was Eric Kramer. And then I looked up, like literally 10 minutes ago before we hopped on, I actually looked up Eric Kramer's life since he left the NFL, and it's been horrific. And it's really? like, what? he's got one of those like CTE NFL oh, life tumbled out of control after he left. And it's like, this podcast, I'm always walking a, a fine line between just becoming a PSA for don't let your kids play football because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's half the quarterbacks are just like, they're just in a Jeep under a bridge with a gun. And I'm like, I feel bad lightly roasting them. Yeah, it's tough, but you know, that all that CTE must've happened in practice because being a backup quarterback is a pretty cushy <laughs> job. It's like being a kicker, you know, like, you're not really you don't really have to do much, but you get paid a lot and and you're just kind of there hanging out. I, I you know, I bet backup quarterbacks main focus is chemistry. Like, hey, I gotta do something to just keep things cool in the yeah, locker yeah. room and on the bench. But man, that's sad to hear that even the backup guys have been hit in the head enough that it doesn't take much. It does not take much. No, man. I'm Here's the thing, like I'm enough of a fan where like it doesn't stop me from watching. But now mm-hmm. I'm just like as long as as long as everybody knows that it messes you up and people don't get pissed when players like sit out or try to get as much money as they can or retire when they're 27 and get called a pussy. As long as there's an understanding of I'm doing this because I either love playing sports or I need to make money and then go be a broadcaster and remember my kids when I'm 40. As long as people have knowledge of how dangerous it is, I'm cool with it. I I agree with you on that. You know, it's funny. Can we talk about sports fandom for for a minute? Because I'm a disgraced Lions fan because I um, (laughs) I just can't. You know, implies that you did something. I did. I, I I've given up. There's just no. It's a it's a zero sum game. You can't win with being a Lions fan because every single year they give you hope. Oh, this is the year we actually look good. We got this new draft pick. Stafford's healthy, you know, whatever. Yeah. 
and then they just suck. And it's not like they suck, suck. They're not like tank suck. They're not jets suck. They are either in it the whole game and lose at the end or getting murdered the first half and make an epic comeback just to lose right at the end. Every game, every game, they inspire just enough hope to make you feel so disappointed. And so I am a disgraced Lions fan in that I've given up because I shouldn't be I, – I, we Detroit does not deserve that, okay? No. But the reason I'm disgraced is not because I'm upfront about the reason why. It's because I pretend like I'm taking a woke stand like it's unhealthy for the – you know what? The NFL, they're not they're – not, um, their social justice stance, I, I don't support it. And – they're they're not fair to the players' health. That's what I that's what I tell people. But it's really because like I'm emotionally unstable. Yeah, I think that's uh, you know that that's worthy of disgrace to shroud <laughs> yourself in a in a cause. <laughs> yeah, for like sure. Your team blows. I mean, I I'm a fake I, virtue signaler. Yeah, I mean, look here's the. I mean, I think everybody is on some level. Like, oh I yeah, feel, for sure. Yeah, like very few honest people express how they feel all the like nobody really has like this is the way I am when nobody's watching and then I act that way when cameras are on me. It's like nobody does that. Right. Or and if they do, we don't know them. Uh, or they're on compound media. So like I feel like there's <laughs> good for them. Yeah. But like I feel I don't know like I, people, I'm sure people in my my audience loves hearing that. Like, I don't. I, I like football, but like, when the Eagles suck, that's my team. I usually stop watching. Like, I don't. I never. I, I used to do fantasy football, mm-hmm. but I felt like it was ruining the way I watched. So I just stopped because I like rooting for the underdog. But if I had like a guy on my, on, you know, I had a receiver from the Cowboys, I'd like oh. I'm kind of like rooting for a team I wouldn't root for otherwise. So I stopped doing fantasy football, which meant now I have really, why do I care if anything other than my team is playing? And then once my team sucks, I'm like, yeah, you know, I could try to get my comedy career going. Like I could be trying to meet fans online. Like there's so many other things to do. Football really is like uh, when my team's in it, I'm all about it. Like I've, enjoyed watching the playoffs this year like i don't always do that but this year the games were good but yeah like i think it's healthy to like you know you got a kid mm-hmm. like what you're gonna like get pissed at the lions and then like forget to feed your kid lunch like it's not worth it right it, if it's gonna hurt other people it's meant to be entertainment it's meant to be an escape which is why on some level i understand people being a little bit annoyed with the with the virtue signaling in sports i understand that that's not something they're tuning in to hear or think about but at the same time it's like well these people who have been entertaining you and risking their lives to do so are people too that these issues affect and it's important to them so don't maybe don't get offended and turn it off because they have something to say maybe just like listen to it, watch the game and think about it later. And somehow we've gotten back into politics, my fault, but um, 
it's uh, it's interesting when people stop tuning in because their team sucks. Like I'm much more of an NBA fan than I am an NFL fan because as a kid I experienced success. The, I'm a Detroit fan. The Pistons won championships right at that perfect age for me. I was like six, seven, just getting into basketball. And then in my 20s, they won again. And I think it depends on your franchise and their level of ineptitude. Like Philly, I know until recently, just had heartbreak after heartbreak with the Eagles. Donovan McNabb, there was promise, but he didn't deliver. And then you guys finally like had this amazing quarterback. He got injured. And then the backup quarterback, there we go, won you guys a Super Bowl, and that's such an amazing story. And and like sticking with your team throughout that to finally see them succeed is so much more rewarding. Like if I was a fucking Jets fan or like a Lions fan or a New York Knicks fan, I don't think there's any disgrace in 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 just saying like I can't do this anymore. It's affecting my mood and my life and. This is supposed to be entertainment. It's supposed to be an escape. I'm now yelling at my kids as a projection <laughs> of being mad at some team's front office. And you can't have yeah. that. Like, not to just keep going on and on, but I was in New York like 10, 11 years ago, and I saw a bar fight over a Knicks-Celtics game. Basically, dudes are fighting over their team's the dudes are fighting over colors, over guys who, after that game, will go out to dinner together. Like, how fucking stupid is that? They're they're right. fighting over their fathers, right? I was just and, and things their fathers said <laughs> yes. to them, yeah. and it it deeply affects them in their psyche and their their trauma in life. And it's and it's nice and fun to forget about that stuff in your head and be like, got to beat the Celtics tonight gotta punch this fucking dude in the face for celebrating too wildly after Avery Bradley hits a three. Like, whatever. Right. whatever. Like, it doesn't... Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to act like I'm above it, but it comes out in me, too. Like, I have a, a pit bull. I've started meditating before I take my dog outside because even during the pandemic, if I walk my dog for 30 minutes, somebody will mention that I have a pit bull. And usually it's great. But pit bulls are so polarizing that people either are like cutest dog in the world or I'll get – I've had people say nasty shit about my dog either viscerally like I can see it coming down the street or verbally. And when it's verbal, I will tear my shirt off and bite your ear in the street and spit it back. Like I like – I don't de-escalate. I'm just ready to go. You don't like pit bulls? Well, now you got two. <laughs> And your dog's like, hey, man, chill out. Yeah, dude. It's like it comes up so organically in me. And I'm like, I, I, my, my therapist was like, you have to meditate before you take the dog out. Because, I mean, the other thing is like if my pit bull did take a hunk out of somebody because I'm getting in a fight with them, like they put my dog down. Like pit bulls get the short end of the stick on all that stuff when push comes to shove. So it's like. Yeah, like I'm actually risking my own dog by not controlling my emotions when I take him out. So I think I probably was like that more when I was younger with sports. I've just learned to not do it with sport. Like I can turn it off. Like even if my team's losing, I just realize like I have enough self-awareness. It's a game. 
I have a life, I have other things, I'm married, you know, like there's other concerns that are bigger than this. Right. But, like I I couldn't agree with you more. It's funny because your dog walk is supposed to be meditative. No, not but, for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it because mine's not either, but that's because my dog is like we did not train him and he's just like all over the place and pulls and barks at people. But um yeah. It's wild how uh, – I forgot what I was going to say. The edibles just kicked in. It's – it's everything is, is like dialed up to an 11. Everyone has to have a stance on something, and you can't just be like, I, I don't know. Like I'll take it by a case-by-case basis the way it should. It It's either like you love something or you hate something, and there's yeah. no in-between. And that's such toxic discourse. You mentioned therapy, so I'm going to just use a word that gets mentioned in therapy all the time. It's toxic, and that's just the way our society works. Like all the media coverage of Kyrie, I like everything that comes out about him. I'm just like, I fucking hate this guy. <laughs> but I know that if I if I met him, I'd be like, oh my god, it's Kyrie Irving. Ah, uh, this guy's yeah, 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 so good. But he's just like pretentious, obnoxious does all these things that I'm just like, dude, come on, like be an adult. Like, what are you doing? But then he'll go and like buy George Floyd's family a house. It's like, well now I don't know if you're doing that to win people back or if it's sincere, seems sincere, but it's like all perception because I know, like I said, if I met this guy, any player I've ever hated, I know that if I met them, I, uh, Pistons fan again, went to the Pacers Pistons game right after the brawl, the the next one. And I fucking, I hated our test, but I know if I met him, it would be like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much of that is like, look, the media feeds into it. You talked about how like sports journalists cover Kyrie. I don't, I don't see any difference in like ESPN and cnn or fox news or emmet like to me like all that it's all entertainment yeah and it's all meant to like get you worked up about something so once they get a narrative kyrie irving thinks the earth is flat it's like okay now everything just feeds into okay he's a negative guy like they did it with baker mayfield this year they were like he sucks he sucks okay never mind i guess he's good there's no like apology tour for the people that made videos that he sucked for six months like right. no one's accountable for the feelings they ginned up it's just stay tuned stay tuned i think what we're responsible for is our level of celebrity worship and that's Mm -hmm. like such a i've told myself like i'm 35 years old i don't need any more heroes i don't especially not athletes like i don't need somebody that could jump really high or throw a ball really far when they were 15 i don't need to look up to those people anymore but even like when you popped up on the squad cast i was like ooh, it's sandy danto like i still feel celebrity worship it's just like inhuman psyche i think people need to be ridiculed out of it that's that's really what i think and you and you need to take the piss out of celebrities and you know that's why i can't i can't watch award shows anymore with these rich millionaire psychos patting themselves on the back for fucking pretending to be a butler like i just don't <laughs> i don't care like it's it's like you have a skill set in the same way that a, a carpenter has an amazing skill set at doing one thing we just have a society that values your skill set more than what this other person does but you're not 
any more exceptional a person than anybody that has a skilled trade that they do. Yeah, I think there's a lot of merit to that. I just don't think that people are capable of having – and I think people are capable of having this thought and conversation where it's not just like, you're good, you're really good, or you're bad, you're really bad. But that seems to be all that comes out, especially in sports and news media about people. I think social media, to an extent, really – exacerbates that but then there's some nuanced conversation capable in it because you know there's just more voices it's really weird because with the media glomming onto something and then it turns out to be overblown there's no apology to her or no retractions or anything it's it's similar to what comics go through so it's like Kyrie came out and said on a podcast he's a flat earther yeah and I think later he he like said that he was joking and it's like this weird everyone's so weird and multifaceted and every issue is too cuz as comics we say things off the cuff that were like popped in our head that we think is funny not always realizing the consequences or that it may be perceived as offensive and and so then all these other people hear it and they're like, fuck this guy forever. This one thing he said, he stands by. This is this is the platform he lives on. Fuck this person. These are his statements. Yes, these are these are the words <laughs> that, that this person lives by. Yeah. But at the same time, when we grew up, I'm I'm pretty much this I'm 37, but my last two birthdays don't count because they weren't recognized due to the pandemic. And then before that, my father-in-law died, and I, you know. I, I my birthday wasn't acknowledged, so I'm j- I'm still 35. Yes, but um, 35 again, girlfriend. We grew up at a time where like any TV show or movie you'd watch, it was like New York was this hellhole. Yeah, everyone from New York is an asshole. If you're from New York, that means you're not nice. That's not necessarily true, but that's our that's what a whole generation perceive. Like in the same vein. All French people, all French women don't shave their armpits. They all smoke cigarettes. They're all, they all are, are assholes too. It's like we, when it's in movies and TV shows and you don't have any other experience with those kind of people, that's all you have to go off of. So I do understand on some level jokes framing a stereotype that can mess with people's perceptions and make them hateful towards a whole group that don't deserve it. But there's no nuance of, of anything of like if somebody says – if I say something on this podcast, doesn't mean that like in a week I might not reflect on it and be like, ah, I was, I was wrong about that. Yeah, well, there's, there's zero room now for irresponsible thought because every thought gets broadcast like you're saying it at a fucking presidential debate. But like it, it, we used to have town squares where you could just yell shit out. And like, you know, 50 people would hear it. And then that was, you know, like if you felt differently a week later, it was like, okay, great. Now you feel differently. The inability to let people work through their thoughts out loud is pretty bad. Like, I think it's pretty destructive for the way that people communicate. I think it's bad for race relations. I think it's bad for everything when people can't just say, what they feel and then have another human being respond to it. And then like, Oh, the, gauge their response. Like here's a, 
here's a fact I know. Oh, learn that. Like the idea that we all have to be these like perfectly formed people with ideas that are crystallized and have been chiseled. Researched and backed up. It's not fucking realistic. And it, it, it's, I don't know, man. Like most comics, I jerk off to YouTube videos of tough crowd. Uh, <laughs> and I, when I watch that show, I'm like, this is what, this is what people actually need to watch. Like you need to watch like a racist comic talk to a black comic with Colin Quinn moderating. That's the only thing that's going to get us out of this is like, I agree. And, and, and just context of things and, and people not taking every single word without a grain of salt. It's just insane that cancel culture is dangerous and has gone too far, but I'm not not familiar. What is this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I think it needs to somehow shift and I don't know how to for this to happen but instead of cancel culture it should become accountability culture and people should be okay with things they don't like hearing and voice their disapproval of it without it being condemnation and people need to be okay with feeling bad for making mistakes and sitting with their discomfort without their whole livelihoods being taken away. I think that's reasonable. You called it accountability culture. So I, I'm trying to start this campaign to change it from cancel culture to accountability culture. And now I'm just shooting from the hip right now. But yeah, like uh-huh. why can't it be shifted to accountability culture? Everyone could stand to like find more accountability in their life. I would like to start a movement too. I call it solar flare culture, which is we lose all technology for six months. 99% of the population dies. The 1% that's left knows how to build shelter in the woods and hunt for food. And then comedy comes back in a hundred years. Oh my God. That's my, that's my movement. It's so, it's so (laughs) dystopian yet utopian. I mean, do you just think about those first comedy clubs in 2150? I mean, people would be crushing. Not just crushing on stage, but we would have to crush the skulls of the cows in order to kill them so we can have burgers. I I love that. uh, My favorite part about being a comic is getting to have a wide and shallow understanding of the world. I know, like, enough to talk about a topic for 15 seconds and then if anybody asks one or two questions to dig deeper on my knowledge or opinions, I'm exposed as a fraud. And we are comedians. We tell jokes. But for some reason now, anything that we make a joke about, we're expected to have some like wide spanning knowledge of. And I don't know if if podcast certain podcasters are to blame, but like, man... I'm curious about subjects, but I don't know everything about everything. We don't have to know everything about everything anymore because we have the internet. We're like cyborgs with our phone. We have the ability to look up any information. But just because I looked up an article about something a year ago, I don't doesn't mean I remember it. Did you you said you took an edible? No, no. I mean last night and you know the residual okay. effects. You know I was going to say it's 11 a.m. I was like, if you took one before we recorded, we're not we're not friends, but I'd be worried. No, of course, I have a child that would be extremely irresponsible (laughs) of me, especially because my well, my okay, my daughter is at daycare right now. My wife is at work. I'm usually taking care of my daughter all day, every day that my wife is working. 
But, you know, sometimes pre-pandemic, I had completely kicked my marijuana habit. For I first tried it when I was 12. My bar mitzvah theme was The Grateful Dead. I don't know how my parents were so naive that they didn't put two and two together. But by the time I was like 14, I was I had like an almost daily habit of smoking weed. And then it continued a few years into comedy. And then I had a realization like this is not helping my comedy career. So I'd only do it like once in a while. But then the pandemic hit. I'm not doing comedy. I'm I don't I have no need to have my short term memory. I have no need to be sharp on my feet. I have no need to want to make eye contact with strangers. I've just been eating edibles every night. There you go. I, I've never, well, not take, I've done edibles before, but the first time I smoked weed was probably my junior year of college. And I could, wow. I could, I could have counted on both hands the number of times I did it up until I moved to New York when I was 22. And then it was like a little more available. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I've only bought weed once. I was 30. It's just never been right. I've felt called to other vices, but for whatever reason, I, maybe it was just my dad scaring the shit out of me when I was a kid. But like, I was just never called to do that in excess. So like, for me, look during quarantine, like that drinking uh -oh. never came up. But like eating like a starving bear before he hibernates, that's been my my vice. Oh my god, did you freeze? Hi. If you've listened to this show, you know that this is a recurring bit that happens where I breathe through my frustration at a broken internet connection. If you're new to the show, that's what this is. The fact that the internet dropping out is something that happens regularly on my show is fucking infuriating. Choosing not to focus on that right now. The thing I want to focus on is a mantra. And that mantra is very simple just breathe. Just breathe. Don't get pissed that before the remote interview I forgot to plug in my Roadcaster mic so. Sandy's volume sounds great, and it sounds like I'm getting interviewed on my own fucking show. I'm not going to get mad about that. Hope you're enjoying Sandy and I talking about cancel culture, too. We said before the interview we wanted to have a conversation that's been had only a thousand times before on the Joe Rogan experience. We thought this would be a good place to do it. But I'm not going to get mad. Enjoy the rest of the interview with Sandy. And don't forget to breathe. It's going to be coming out of the meditation. I do a meditation bit where I play soft music and talk myself out of a fit of rage that my interview's been cut out and then it comes back in. That's probably what people are coming into right now.
you you know it's funny you were before it cut out you were saying how you you had other voices but pot was never like your main thing or you never really got into it i did and yet we both have underlying rage issues just goes to show you that weed doesn't chill you out as much as people would like you to believe it does no i guess when you're on it but like when you're off of it and you have rage the rage is still there. The, the rage still lives inside you. Look, I still think it's a superior drug to alcohol. Like, I couldn't I, agree with you more. It's yeah. different. It, you know, every drug has its has its redeeming qualities for different things. I think I was too into pot in high school and college, and it cost me in the romance department because I would like smoke weed with girls I'd bring back, and I would feel too awkward and paranoid to make a move. Yeah. But when that didn't happen, it was like, oh, I have my confidence. It, like, it, I'm not saying that weed kills your confidence. It just did for mine. It, it would make me question things that I otherwise wouldn't question. Weed makes me smarter and more romantic. <laughs> it does. Like, like I, I, I was with this girl one time and I was super high and she was naked in front of me. And I, I literally said... Uh, I'm struck by my boyish wonder. <laughs> like, like, I, like I, I said that. It's like a high thing to say. It's like I would never. Every every other word out of my mouth is uh fuck and like. Like that's how I actually speak. But yeah, with weed, I feel like I I get to a different plane. Like like whatever percent you know, like you you use eight percent of your brain, whatever that number is. I use an extra five percent when I'm high. I like that. I, I think creatively I do, but then I think the residual effects of it being in my system, whether it's a placebo or real, I just when when I'm when I go back to to performing live in front of people, I will not be. I will kick my edibles habit. Yeah, it's just sense. not conducive for for me for that. I've never understood people who are like get high right before they go on stage. I did it one time, uh, and it's when I was doing improv. So already, I was I was compounding mistakes on top of mistakes. <laughs> really good at improv in my twenties, and I'm going to be high for a show. And it was it was a nightmare. I mean, I, I just remembered like somebody turning to me, like expecting to have a line. And I'm just staring at their face, like, oh, it's been like five minutes since I spoke. There's a hundred, there's like a hundred people in the audience right here. Like, you know, I, trust me, this is not bragging, but I was on a very popular improv team. If anything, that's a, that's my shame. Improv was, gets uh, a bad rap, man, because when it's good, it is the best, but imp- it's so infrequently good that <laughs> people find it that. And I think it's hard to find improvisers who can compartmentalize to only being on when they're in the appropriate setting. Sure. Improv gets a bad rap and it deserves every bit of bad rap that it gets. None, it's not like <laughs> maybe not every bit, but like 85%. It, it's, I mean, and look, most of the people in my life that I love outside of my immediate family and, and I guess relatives all come from improv or their degree of separation from the years in New York that I did improv. So this is no, you know, this like literally 90% of my audience. I love all of you guys. For me, I'll say my level of self-awareness when I was really humming 
with improv was like at its lowest. I, I thought for years I could make a career being an improviser, being an improv teacher. You know, I had like climbed to the height of this, uh, this theater in New York where I was performing on their featured night and was on probably their best team and was in the premier spot. And uh, I was booking commercials in New York. And I was like, I could, this could be, I don't have a day job right now. I'm just performing. But like, I always knew in the back of my head, I wanted to be a stand-up. I mean, when I started stand-up in New York, I was 22 years old. I remember uh, certain comics in the New York scene being assholes to me. This is before, you know, I think there was like, this is how you acted an open mic. It was like the Wild West. Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, am I going to get like made fun of every night that I go up just because I'm trying to be a comedian and I moved here from the South? And then meanwhile, like I'd go to an improv class. By the fourth week, I'm getting laid by somebody. Like everybody's like, let's clap together. I'm like, oh my God, this is not even comparable. How much nicer this one experience is compared to the other. It, it deludes you into thinking that you're, I have three improv shows this week. I'm really doing something. It's like, you're really not unless you're writing and you're creating stuff that lasts beyond the moment. So yeah, like I said, I have like a real love hate relationship in my head with that art form. I spent, I spent eight years perfecting it. I started out in improv too. I grew up much more into sketch than stand up. I liked stand up. There were certain comics. I really loved Chris Rock, Dice Clay, uh, Stephen Wright, Norm Macdonald, but I was much more into sketch and I started out in improv. And like you said, it is a much more welcoming community theater. It's funny because stand up is theater too, but it's every man for themselves and it creates this gruff, unwelcoming vibe, competitive, certain mean spirited. But once you break through that, everyone's pretty supportive and, and nice. Yeah. Whereas improv, it was like that. I was like, this is too nice. And it's too like silly all the time. And it's too. It gets like... meaner. <laughs> and then when meaner, you break through that, it. it's actually, yeah, it's actually <laughs> like, oh, I didn't realize it, but I'm in an anti-Semitic uh, sketch group. I, I never I, I can finally uh, <laughs> see that now that I've broken through the nice exterior. You know, it's it's a it's a great observation. It reminds me of the differences in New York and LA. When you meet people in New York, the first meeting you have with them, they're the meanest they're ever going to be to you. And then as you get to know people, they become nicer. And you realize people being mean to you in New York, it's almost like a survival mechanism toughen up a little bit. You know, the city's trying to kill you. Yeah, I heard this oh, okay. I, I saw this tweet the other day summing up West Coast culture, people are nice, but they're not kind. East Coast culture is people aren't nice, but they are kind. It's perfect. And I, I do, yeah, I it's do like people that. are really nice in LA and they offer you things. And then when you try to cash in on what they've offered you, they ghost you. I know which one I prefer. Yeah, I you know, it's funny you say that yeah. because in LA, like therapy terms like toxic and we're both in therapy and all that. It seems like there's this covert mission that has become accomplished where terms from therapy have become weaponized. Like you're no longer allowed to voice your opinion that contradicts anyone else's because that's toxic. You're not allowed to like be hung up on something from the past you haven't gotten over because you're not being present. You know, all these terms, no matter what you're doing, 
can be weaponized against you if somebody heard them in therapy over the course of a year. You're gaslighting me. No, I just see things differently. You're you're really toxic. No, we just I just don't think we're compatible. I've just noticed it because I've watched a lot of 90 Day Fiance recently. My wife will fall asleep really early if it's anything I want to watch. So I just realized I've got to find things that she wants to watch that I also want to watch. So she's the only person I have to hang out with. So I need to try to maximize the hours she's awake. So yeah. I've started watching reality TV with her that I can find some entertainment value in. And I've, we're watching The Bachelor, and I'm just like, these girls are just weaponizing terms they heard in therapy against each other. Yeah, and they also don't – they're not even using the terms correctly. Right. I, th- I feel like gaslighting now just means we broke up. Yeah, gaslighting now with, means like me. I don't agree with you in this fight, and you're trying to make me think that you're right. Yeah, sometimes I just have an opinion and a, a, a recollection of a event we had or a fight that's different than yours. I'm not knowingly lying to you about it. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm not saying gaslighting isn't a thing. I think currently there's a lot of gaslighting going on in our society, specifically like QAnon is the like the flagship example of gaslighting. Yeah. I, I wonder what's it's got to be rough being single being married has its challenges in a pandemic too because you're like just right in each other's face for a year so you know like as I, i'll be on it like this sounds whatever but you know me and my wife i think we've found like a deeper love during the pandemic like i've i'm very happy that i'm with her and i think there's about nothing wrong with it. saying that i feel the same yeah with your with me and your wife yeah yes but I, I, I don't I can't really imagine what people would be going through if they were single for this long with I mean, I, I, unless you're just like, fuck it, I'm dating. I think a lot of people are just like, fuck it. I think there are two ways to be single during this. Fuck it. I'm dating, whatever. Or like I am going nowhere because if I get sick, there's no one to take care of me. <laughs> there's no one to take care of me it's very funny but also a bummer yeah it's such a bummer but yeah i mean being married during this has been great but it's also like yeah you do find out a lot when you are forced to spend more concentrated time with each other and if you're dynamic works because you both work or you one travels a lot then you know that that'll get exposed but also like you can't you can't work on the relationship as much in the pandemic like you can't go on dates you can't have new experiences you have to come up with creative ways or compromises in order to get things to work and that could lead to a greater understanding a deeper connection or it can like fucking tear you apart did you ever watch american gladiators hell yeah the old one the real one yeah yeah of course yeah it's like that it's like that final obstacle course the eliminator that's what it was called where whoever the better contestant is it will show like the cargo net the running across the little like bike treadmill with your arms it took like three minutes to run it there's no cheating your way through it. The better athlete will win every time. So I feel like it's kind of like that with 
relationships in quarantine. If your relationship sucks, now you know it. Get married or break up. And now you know how a backup quarterback feels when the lead guy is never unhealthy. What a what a great way to tie it in a nice bow as we're getting to the 45-minute mark. Well done, Sandy. <laughs> That's what I do because I, too, have improv training. Yeah, you always got to end it where it starts, right? I'm a Herald guy. You know, you get it. Worlds collide. Yeah, third beats, man. <laughs> Look at these there two is people. a lot of, you know, similarities between the Herald School of Improv and foot football. Yeah, it feels like we're forcing it now. But I, I I'm with you. Yeah, this is this was great. Thanks for listening to the show. To hear more Bring in the Backups or help us grow, please subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a written five-star review. Or subscribe and hit the notification bell on YouTube. For info on the show or how to see Eric live, visit erichelwig.com to hop on the newsletter.